Welcome to Ejo, the podcast. Welcome to EGIL the Podcast, a production of the European Journal of International Law. This podcast is a so-called EGIL Live, a discussion that accompanies the latest issue of the journal. Issue 314 is special for many reasons. One of them is that it is a veritable bumper issue in terms of book reviews. It has three review essays, one impressions essay, and 12 regular reviews. Today we have Joseph Weiler, in normally in New York, I think at the moment in Madrid, and I, Sarah Nouwen, in Florence, both editors-in-chief of the journal. We are joined by the book review editor, Christian Tams in Germany, and two authors who reviewed books in that book review bumper issue. Joining in Australia is Kate Storr, Chancellor's postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Technology, Sydney, who wrote, The War Rages On, Expanding Concepts of Decolonization in International Law a review essay of Jochen von Bernstoff and Philipp Dan's edited volume, The Battle for International Law, South-North Perspectives on the Decolonization Era. Joining in Geneva is Fuad Zarbiev, Associate Professor of International Law at the Graduate Institute of International Law and Development Studies, who reviewed The Process of International Legal Reproduction, Inequality, Historiography, Resistance by Rose Parfit. Christian, Kate, Fuad, welcome. Let's begin with the essence. Book reviewing. What's the point? Kate, you want to have a go? Sure, thank you, Sarah. Book reviewing is often approached as a type of community service, but I do think that that misses the point. Reviewing is a mode of creating community, of building and reinforcing epistemic community, an intellectual context within which books have meaning and value. I do think that that kind of community really requires constant maintenance and care. As writers, we're often encouraged to know our audience, to imagine our audience, to write for our audience. We write with the presumption that our work will be received by an audience. So first and foremost, writing book reviews is a mark of respect, not only for the individual author, but for the idea of intellectual community itself and intellectual community that persists over time, that leaves a record of itself. Secondly, I do think that reviewing a book is one of the best ways of really reading it, reading a work with attention and thinking seriously about how it relates to a body of knowledge. Okay, great. So book reviewing, it's about creating community and it's about making sure that we actually read the book properly. Fuat, the same for you? Thank you, Sarah. Yes, I fully agree. Uh, there is no easy justification for academic book reviewing. It's obviously different from literary book reviewing, where book reviews are usually seen as sort of market intermediaries between uh, publishers and authors on one hand and readers on the other hand. But I think academic book sales are really driven by academic book review. So what is the point of academic book review? And it's an important question. My intuition is that at least one of the major points of academic book reviewing is its signaling effect. Uh, 
So it's basically telling the community uh, uh, Kate was talking about, here's a noteworthy book and it is noteworthy for these reasons. By the way, they may be good or bad, bad reasons. And I think this intuition is also confirmed by the fact that we know that the very fact of being reviewed is usually presented as a positive thing, regardless of the substance of the, of the review. Well, Christian, you're the one then who decides who gets, uh, who gets signaled because you're the book review editor. You spend many, many days uh, a year, well, you dedicate many days a year to this uh, topic, to, to book reviewing. For you, what's the point? I think two things, um, and I think they follow up from what Kate and Fuad have just said. I'll put them in, in labels, guidance and fun. Uh, guidance, because book reviews do signal, as Fuad has been saying, they shine a spotlight on great books that would otherwise perhaps go unnoticed. And perhaps they can correct the perception that a book that everybody talks about is really that great, because they identify flaws in the reading or shallow reasoning. So that's the first point. They provide guidance to the massive ocean of publishing that we're all confronted with all the time. Um, and I think if they're done well, they can be really a key element in an academic dialogue. I think that goes to points that Kate has referred to. The second point is fun. That dialogue, book reviewing, being reviewed, can actually be fun. And as a genre, I think book reviews leave room for flexibility, for creativity, perhaps more so than other genres of lawyerly writing. Um, we can enjoy writing them. We can try things out, push the boundaries a bit. And I think that's part of it too. And that's why I think the genre is so important and we're right to deserve time uh, to discuss it. Thank you. This is Joseph Weiler. I want to add something from the point of view of the reader. Book reviews, we can't read all the books we would want to. We want to know what's happening in the field. Book reviews are a good shortcut to know what's going on in the field without actually having to read the books. Okay, so Joseph tells us why it is important. You've all told us why it is important. Um, and Christian already began to talk about why would one want to do it? It's fun. But is, it, is that kind of fun enough? Is there enough personal satisfaction in uh, book reviewing? Is there a risk of getting a lot of flack for book reviewing? What do you get out of it, Kate? Why do it? It is a good question. Uh, like anything, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And reviewing well is not easy. Rigorous, thoughtful review takes time. And it can seem like that time is hard to justify when the labour isn't always recognised in the institutional contexts in which we all work. Nevertheless, I do really believe it's worth doing. Because a well-written review travels far. It, it travels even potentially further than a work of primary research. And it can reach a different and often a broader set of readers. I know that there are people who've been introduced to my primary research through my reviews. Uh, reviews have led to invitations to contribute, to give papers, to panel invitations, to building contacts and networks in places where I can't physically be. So all of this does go back to the point about community. A good review 
is a mode of being present and attentive in a community. And that presence is noticed. That That is one of the benefits um, of reviewing, I do believe. That's a benefit that comes in addition to the benefit to one's own work of having read well. That said, I do write review essays rather than short reviews. And I do that precisely because it's possible in that genre to write what is in effect a sustained work of synthesis. And I do think that synthesis is an art that is at risk under the present conditions under which we work and it's worth keeping alive. So a review essay is is far more laborious, but I think it's a far more rewarding task as a writer and is more likely than a short review to be legible within the institutional frameworks in which we work as a research output. So I think that there are secondary benefits that aren't always obvious in writing a good review. I almost recognize that point that you make about the potential impact of a book review. There are many instances in which I remember the book review, but I don't remember the underlying book. Uh, The book review was in a way stronger than the underlying book. Fuad, how is it for you? Yeah, so one, why one would be interested in uh, uh, reviewing books? I think uh, good academic citizenship is certainly part of the equation, but there may be more to it in individual cases. So I can only speak to what that more is in my own case, hoping that others in the community would, would share uh, how I feel about it. I think the book review as a genre gives the reviewer an excellent opportunity uh, to talk not only about the individual book, but also the broader scholarly conversation the book is part of. So if I, if I may put it this way, it's a space for a meta-judgments. It's a space where you can make judgments about judgments or what usually goes into disciplinary judgments. So for me, that's the exciting part of book reviewing. It's interesting because it's an opportunity to try to shape the disciplinary conversation more broadly. So I want to ask Christian a question in his capacity as book review editor. Everything we heard until now sounds not only positive, but almost noble. But you and your fellow book review editors of legal journals exercise tremendous power. It really does make a difference if one's book is noted and gets a good book review in a good journal. And one often hears and one often thinks and one has had the same experience. Why did his or her book get reviewed and mine did not get reviewed? So how do you actually decide which books to review? And I see two issues. First, so many books are published, not all can be reviewed. So how do you make that decision? And more delicately, you don't read all the books that get reviewed. So how do you decide ex ante that the book is worth reviewing? Well, I think, I mean, we can all just try to do our best. I mean, there's no, uh, I mean, we're all fallible and that certainly goes to selecting books for review. I think what we do at the European Journal and the we here is not a majestic plural, but that goes to sort of Dr. Gail Lithgow, my colleague at Glasgow and St. Andrews and myself. What we do is we, well, we look around, we look at book lists that are being published. We look to uh, websites that um, provide information about recently published books. We get sent lists by publishers. Um, and that's our first data gathering, data sampling. We listen carefully when colleagues speak about books and say that this particular book had 
prompted them to reflect on this point or that particular book was really bad and we perhaps take note and that goes to our information gathering. Um, and then we look at what is, this goes to the second part uh, of, of your question, Joseph, then we look at what is said about the book on the website, the blurb, the suggestions on why it should matter. And on that basis, perhaps not sufficient, but on that basis of information, we try to make a plausibility judgment of whether we feel that book has the capacity to enrich scholarship and should be reviewed. Um, we're not infallible, no doubt, um, but we're trying hard and we're trying to look around carefully before selecting books, because this is something that is perhaps peculiar for EGIL um, and has been something that I've certainly been told from the beginning. Uh, it's about commissioning book reviews more than anything else, not just following self-selections or suggestions by authors who want their book reviewed and who press hard for it to be reviewed. And then the book review editor at one point gives in. So following exactly on that point, is there anything an author can do to improve the chance of their book being reviewed without crossing that line of crass self-promotion, uh, badgering book review editors, etc.? In response, I probably fall back on the noble, naive part of our responses from the first round. I think, I mean, authors can try, but I do think there is a there is reason to be confident and have confidence in that a good book will speak for itself, that word of mouth will get information around. Now, I'm not ignorant of biases. Of course, we have selection biases. Of course, books that feature elsewhere will... Uh, will sort of be more prominent and or more visible than others. And certainly for books published in languages other than English, I think it would be great if authors encouraged their publishers to either send information about the publication to the book review editor or even the book itself. This will certainly put it on the radar and then therefore increase the chances of a book that might otherwise get overlooked. But I do think um, at I would reiterate the point you made in your question. I mean, I think the the own goal you can score as an as an author, certainly um, with book reviews at EGIL, is that you're too pushy. Uh, and I'm I'm saying that not because I think it's controversial, but because it happens so often, and probably out of all the good intentions, that authors continue to email and ask um, ask that their book be reviewed, and perhaps even, and this is perhaps a further step mentioned the potential reviewers, which then happen to be their best friends. And this, of course, gets book review editors, not just at EGIL, but elsewhere, to be a bit cautious and skeptical whether what is happening there is far away from the noble ventures that we described in our first responses and is really sort of a staged, a setup, a commissioning of a favorable review. So I'll follow up on that answer as well. How do you prevent friends reviewing friends? Now, of course, if somebody says, please ask X to book review, that would a red light would go on. But we most of the time we know each other, etc. So when I've been asked to book review, very frequently it's somebody, the author of whom of which I know. So there's also here, it's a kind of quite a delicate judgment you have to exercise. And how do you prevent enemies from reviewing enemies? Somebody who's angry about a previous book review and now he's going to trash the author, etc. What's the mechanism of EGIL to prevent that kind of conflict of interest, by either positive or negative? I think there are 
two mechanisms. Uh, and the first is at the selection stage. That's what you've been referring to. I would think of it as almost a due diligence check. Um, I hope we avoid those concerns. Um, we're asking uh, potential reviewers that we approach to be clear, to almost declare conflicts of interest, whether they've been on the same faculty, whether they are the author uh, in, in conversation with whom a book has been written or in disagreement with whom a book has been written. And, uh, and hopefully, so we appeal to the, the judgment of the reviewers and put very clearly on our website that we don't want those sorts of reviews by friends or foes. Now, it will depend on the cooperation of potential reviewers, but I do think that's our due diligence in relatively simplistic form. There's a second uh, level, and this goes to the editing of a review. Of course, um, once a review has been produced, you might see the problems on display that you've just referred to. It may be just overly favorable without any critical engagement, or it may be damning without any fairness. And at the editing stage, there's a further opportunity to redress that. But um, of course, as always, um, with conflicts of interest, prevention is far better than the cure. And that's why we now put in all our requests a sort of a line that requires reviewers or potential reviewers to declare that they will approach this fairly and from a measure of distance. And final question following up on this. Do book reviews, on the one hand, review essays, but also the shorter review, do they get external peer review or is all the peer review in-house? Well, for the regular reviews that are the bulk of EGIL's uh, review business, if you want, uh, it's in-house, uh, which doesn't mean that it's light touch. I think this is perhaps one of the misconceptions that some reviewers have that they're doing others a favor and the journal a favor. And this is why whatever they send in ought to be printed as is. Uh, there are often two, sometimes three rounds of internal reviewing where Gail, Lisko and myself go through the text and carefully edit it. And I do think we're taking this seriously. Hopefully it does show. Um, peer reviews are reserved for the review essays that are the slightly larger in scope uh, pieces that we publish in the review section. These are peer reviewed, but it's an informal peer review, which is works slightly different, slightly uh, less, uh, in a, which works differently from the peer review that EGIL institutionalizes for articles. Uh, but this is the basic feature, internal, in-house for regular reviews, informal peer reviewing for review essays. Thanks. We've discussed now the technicalities of book reviewing. How do books get chosen for book review uh, and what happens next? And is there an editorial process? But let's talk to the, about the substance of book reviews. Let's look at ourselves as readers. What do we expect from a good book review? Kate. Like a lot of academics, I'm a reader of literary reviews. I do avidly read the London Review of Books, the New York Review of Books, the Atlantic, the Sydney Review of Books. I'll um, give a shout out for my hometown review. So literary reviews are obviously different to academic reviews, but reading them does create a respect for genre. And I like reviews that choose their subject well. I think that is a, a crucial first step. But secondly, that approach that subject as being worthy of critique, where rigorous critique is a mark of respect for the author's intellectual labour. Reviews 
shouldn't be used as a demonstration of critical prowess on behalf of the reviewer. That stands out a mile. It's not enjoyable to read. A good review is really an earnest working through of the arguments and issues raised by the book. I do like to to end a review feeling like I've read two good works rather than none at all, which is too often the case when reading academic reviews. On that, nobody likes to read an obsequious, superficial review, not even an author. I can't believe that an author would not would enjoy reading that, that type of review. And for that reason, I'm quite wary of the common advice that PhD students and early career researchers receive that they should write reviews as an entry point to publication. I think that needs to be tempered a little as a piece of common wisdom. The temptation to write a timid, toothless review is quite strong for our younger members of the community, or perhaps even worse, the temptation to write a slash and burn raised earth review on the other is is appealing to a certain type of personality and neither of those reviews really serve the goal of rigorous progressive debates or really when it comes down to it of career progression there's a degree of confidence required to write a good review but that confidence does need to be matched with skill and that only takes time so I like a rigorous review that neither sees uh, crit- criticism as critique that is deserving to be read and that takes a position that doesn't adopt a timid uh, and in the end unedifying approach to the primary work. Fuad, do you like the timid ones or the raging ones? Actually, I, I fully subscribe to what Kate just said. I like Kate. I book. I like book reviews that are analytical. Those uh, that uh, identify the project of the author properly and tell the reader whether the project was worth engaging in and whether the author has been able to carry it out successfully. And of course, all this should be done in a. a, a non-conclusory manner with supporting arguments. I mean, one should not think that book review is a sort of argument-free space. And I don't like book reviews that are merely descriptive in the bad sense of the term, Uh, something along the lines of, you know, the book is composed of this many chapters. Chapter one deals with this and chapter two deals with that. I mean, maybe in the old days, uh, that kind of reviews uh, had a point, but today it's difficult to see the point because, I mean, the table of contents of the books may be consulted on the publisher's website or or on Amazon. So I think uh, uh, book reviews are expected to be analytical. I differ a little bit. And I refer here not to the review essays, but the standard 1,000, 1,200 book reviews. And there I would like to have 70% what the book says and only 30% what the author of the book review says. Uh, Because I don't look at websites of publishers. So very often my first encounter with a book is in a book review. And most of all, I want to know what the book is about, how the subject is treated, etc., and then have some critical engagement. I'm talking about the shorter book reviews. But Christian, to you a questioner, 
just on this theme, as somebody who has uh, one foot in Europe and another foot in the United States, I have very long legs. Uh, there really is a difference in style. The, in the English-speaking world, which corresponds to the common law world in a great many cases, there's a tradition of really critical book reviewing. People are not afraid of saying this is a poor book and here are the reasons why this is a poor book. Whereas the European continental book reviewing is much more bland. The most you get is the ABA formula. This is a good book. Here are some problems. This is a good book. How do you explain, if you agree with me, this kind of different in approach to book reviewing? Well, I don't think I can give you the definitive answer on that, but I do agree with the observation. I mean, um, having grown up academically in Germany and now spending time mostly in the United Kingdom, um, I, I, share the, I, share the, I share your observation. Book reviewing in Germany functions differently. Um, in the German tradition, as I certainly as I perceived this, was growing up academically in Germany, book reviews seem to serve a very different function from the one we've been discussing. Um, getting books for free for younger people where books cost a fortune, perhaps acquainting yourself with standard works and sort of as a rite of passage, demonstrating that acquaintance, but not the sort of critical engagement or serious working through of arguments that Kate and Fuad and to some extent I have spoken to now. So it's, it's a different tradition, at least in the mainstream law journals of reviews. They serve to highlight titles, but much less critically to engage with them. Why is that so? I don't really know. It's a puzzle to me. Um, it could be a reflection of hierarchically structured academic systems. It could be a fondness for the solid summary, which must come before the rash or firm judgment. It could be a concern about criticism that is perceived personally, and we can project onto this all our stereotypes about the German character. But it does leave me puzzled because it does set German legal publishing apart from so much other writing in Germany. I mean, Germany is the country that gave you Lichtenberg, Heine and Kerr. And in the law publishing, it never has replicated, at least not on a significant scale, the tradition, the, the venerable tradition and at sometimes angry tradition of reviewing, which is much closer to Joseph to what you were describing as the American book reviews. So I'm left with this observation, uh, hinting at a few potential, potential grounds for it, but above all, regretting that in German legal scholarship, uh, there's such an absence of regard for the book review in the way we've been describing it. Talking about regretting things, are there things to regret about the state of play when it comes to gender? Is it the case that, and I'm talking empirically here, that we're reviewing more books authored by men than by women? Uh, how does that feature into the selection for review? And how does this feature in the selection of reviewers and actually the contents of the reviews? That's many questions. I think the short answer is it does, it does feature. It cannot be ignored. We're operating in a market that remains in many ways gendered. And perhaps as review editors, we're trying to work against that, but we're also constrained by it. So the historical dominance of male authors is perhaps waning but remains visible if you look at the publication lists that serve as the basis of choices about books to be reviewed. Um, I would hope that we make an extra effort of ensuring that um, books written by female authors are reviewed. Uh, in, the, in recent issues of the European Journal, we've 
hopefully succeeded. In the recent one, the rate is around 50% if we're looking at the books that are being reviewed. But it does remain a constant struggle because the percentage of books authored by female authors is, lo is lower than that authored by male authors, at least on average. Um, I think the same is true, uh, Sarah, for reviewers. Um, we've tried to make an effort of having among the reviewers a 50-50 balance of female and male authors. We have occasionally succeeded, but it's fair to say that perhaps due to COVID, uh, we cannot really sort of, I cannot really give precise causality links here, but perhaps in the, in the most recent issues, we've struggled. And we've had many instances anecdotally where female authors or female reviewers have um, said they could not produce that review, even though they had agreed to do so. Now, again, um, we're operating in, in a system that perhaps has gendered implications of COVID and we're struggling with that. We're making an effort to combat that and to deal with this by reaching out to female reviewers, but we're limited to trying and cannot guarantee perfect equality in the outcome. Well, that's at least a clarion call for all those who uh, want to join us in this struggle. Joseph, EGL started as a journal, then it had a blog, now it has a podcast. Well, do you have any ambitions or do does EGL have any ambitions when it comes to book reviewing? Well, we do, because I think one of the things, the takeaways from this discussion is that there are many, many more books that could and should be reviewed, but just their constraint, journal selection, etc. And in some ways, uh, the heart of scholarship takes place in books and not only in articles. So Christian and I talking about this, we have come up with uh, a dream, an ambition, but we plan to realize it. And we call it the EGIL Review of Books. It might start as an additional issue a year in EGIL, but eventually it's never going to be like the London Review of Books every two weeks, etc. but maybe three or four bumper issues a year, an accompanying publication to EGIL is what we have in the works. So watch this space. The EGIL Review of Books is coming. Well, that's a great note to end on. Thank you, Fuad, Christian and Kate. And thank you to all those who were listening for joining us. Watch this space, but also continue listening to this podcast. And for more EGIL podcasts, visit egiltalk.org and egil.org. <laughs>